I wonder, have you ever had that uh, nightmare? You know, that, uh, e- e- you know, and I don't mean like during high school, but you know, afterwards sometime you have this nightmare that you had to get to class and you could not remember your locker combination. Anybody out there? Yeah, I see those hands back there. I see those hands. It's a terrifying thing to forget. Am I right? It can be really frustrating too, like that couple at the airport. You know, I mean, you know, let's face it, travel can be wearying, but they hadn't even gotten on a plane yet, and you could tell they were already pretty frustrated, you know, looking at all these bags around him. He was already wearied from the traffic and packing, and, and his wife leans over and says, you know, honey, I really wish we'd have brought the piano with us. We looked around, he says, we've got 16 bags here. What in the world would we do with a piano? She says, well, the airline tickets are on the piano, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Forgetting can be frustrating, can be dangerous. Can really mess up your, your world to forget. If you ever walked out the door of the store and said, I think I parked over there. And then you're over here. It can be embarrassing. But my friends, when it comes to the things that God has revealed to us, it will impact your whole life if you fail to remember. Remembrance is the key word here today. There's some things that you and I need to remember about God. Some things that the nation of Israel needs to remember about God if they are going to be enabled and courageous enough to go where he has called them to go. And so the key word is memory. Forgetting important things, again, embarrassing, like the names of your children. Come on, who hasn't called their child the name of your cat or your dog? You know what happens. You get flustered. Scotty, Oreo, Emily. (laughs) And you wonder how. But I'll tell you, we can get there, friends. It's important to remember. And so we're going to see here in chapters 13 to 15 that God gave some very clear instruction to the nation of Israel to help them, first of all, remember. There are some things that God is going to call them to do that is going to be premeditated on their remembrance of what God has already done. So take a look with me, if you will, here. In chapter 13 and verse 1, we see this instruction of God to remember God's salvation. Hey, have you noticed this table out here? It's really the same thing. When Jesus laid this out here, the purpose was that we would not forget. It's too easy to forget, my friends. But I want you to look here. God laid in some things for the nation of Israel to make sure that they would never, ever forget what God had done for them with his strong arm leading them, relieving them, redeeming them out of slavery to these Egyptians. And one of the things he instructed them to do was to consecrate the firstborn. Look at here in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me, set apart 
This is going to be different. I wonder if, uh, if you still have two sets of dishes. Did you ever have two sets of dishes? You know what I'm talking about. One for the family and one for the people who really matter. You know, the people who visit every once a year, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's just the good stuff and the ordinary stuff, you know. It's set apart. Don't use that dish, you know. My friends, consecrate, set apart. Notice the focus on the firstborn. Well, what does that remind you of? How about this? Just the chapter before, we're reading about how God said to Pharaoh that he was going to take the lives of the firstborn throughout the land of Egypt if they do not let Israel go. He told them that from the very beginning. Pharaoh would not let them go. And God killed the firstborn. And there was not a house in Egypt that did not have somebody dead. Tragic, tragic, tragic story of people who do not know the Lord and act accordingly, my friends. So God says here in, to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever it is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. Set them apart for me. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day, there's that word remember, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then we're going to read a phrase here that is repeated over and over and over again. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place, and no leavened bread shall be eaten. My friends, that's the first. Set apart the firstborn to help you remember. Every time a cat is born, every time a dog, every time a sheep is born, every time a son is born, every time the firstborn will be consecrated to the Lord. And there will become a generation, and we'll get to that in just a moment, that will say, hey, why are we doing this? And it will be an opportunity to remember now notice here in verse 4, the celebration of deliverance. We call it the Passover. Today in the month of Abib, you are to go out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Let's not forget the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you. A land that's flowing with milk and honey. And you shall keep his service in this month. You see, it's going to be a great land, and there's going to be all kinds of good stuff in there, and there's going to be some distractions along the way, and the danger is that you will forget what God has done for you. So in this month, you will celebrate in order to remember. Seven days, verse 6, you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. The Passover, a reminder of God's deliverance of this nation, this redemption out of the land of Egypt. And it was all for the purpose of remembrance, setting up habits, setting up celebrations, setting up practices that would all point to the redemption. God releasing them, loosing them from the bondage of the Egyptians. And all of these things set up. And I ask you this, friends, this pattern begins to develop. What do you have built into your life to remember what it is that God has done for you? You know? 
I mean, how is your life different if you don't remember than when you do remember? I suppose, friends, that those who forget turn ungrateful. And those who are ungrateful to turn demanding. And they forget what it is that it was done for them, and it changes them. But those who remember are grateful. Those who remember demonstrate their gratefulness in their thanksgiving, in their song, in the way that they worship, and in the way that they live. There is a great danger, friends, in forgetting. But my friends, it's not the last celebration here, this deliverance to be remembered. We have here the communication to the, with the next generation, as I previously mentioned. These are habits that God wanted in the nation of Israel to always remind them of how it all began, how they became a nation in the bondage of the Egyptians, but how God, with a strong arm, broke them free. And it's communication with the next generation. And the whole point is to remember, verse 8, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord has done for me. It is what because of what the Lord has did for me when I came out of Egypt and that shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes that the law of Yahweh may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. There it is a second time. And you shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. The feast the consecration, the teaching of your children, all to remind them of what God had done. Look at here in verse 11. Hmm. Wow. When the Lord brings you into a land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be for the Lord. Every firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, if you will not consecrate it to the Lord, then you shall break its neck. For it belongs to me, God says, not to you. Good reminders there, friends. And when in time to come, your sons ask you, what does this mean? Why are we doing this? Who started this tradition? The Lord says to Moses, you shall say to him by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out. And there it is repeated again. And you know why it's repeated? You know why it's repeated, so you won't forget it. The Lord by a strong hand, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Verse 15, for when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And it shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand, say it with me, the Lord brought us out. I want you to notice there some of these prepositions here. 
in the way that this instruction is given. Hundreds of years may pass by. People have died and and children are born. And after one generation after another, the way the story is to be told is that the Lord delivered us. It is a very personal. It's not a them. It's not to those people. It is what the Lord has done for me. It's a very, very personal reminder. Well, my friends, the Lord sets up this reminder. Why? I mean, what's the point of remembering? So what if they forget? Can't someone just remind them then? I mean, why all of these practices and these habits Because if they fail to remember, if they fail to remember, my friends, they will be unable to do what God is calling them to do. And what God is calling them to do is to trust his leading. To trust his leading. If they do not remember what God has done, how will they trust him for what God calls them to do? Look at here in verse 17. God in leading them, and you can trust God's leading. Do you know why you can? It's not just because God is big and powerful, and God can, no one can stand in God's way, and you can trust him. My friends, it is not just that he is able, it is that he is good. We can trust God because God loves us. God is kind to us. God is good. And one of the uh, examples of that is laid out here in verse 17. Notice this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. God didn't take them the short way. Well, God, why don't you just take them the short way? Well, because the Philistines are there, that's why. God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war, and they return to Egypt. He knew that this nation was young. It was immature. It had not opportunity oft to trust in God. And so God started them where they were. God did not give the lesson of a PhD to a kindergartner. And that's where this nation was. God brought them out with a strong arm, but God led them in a safe way. And we can trust him because God considers our weaknesses. God knows our frailties. God even knows our our propensity to wander. You know, lest they turn back, lest they are so terrified that they run away. God says, I did not lead them that way. Hmm. And so he considers our weaknesses. But you know what else? He keeps his promises. That is the, perhaps the best reason to trust him is because God always keeps his word. If he says it, he will do it. He will not do it when you want him to. He will do it when it is best for you and brings glory to himself. And he lays out an example here in verse 19. Take a look. Now Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. What did he do that for? For Joseph had made the sons of Israel Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. 
You remember the story of Joseph, sold as a slave, brought into Egypt. That's where it all started. But Joseph, he died in Egypt. He never saw the promised land, but he knew the promised land was a promise. He knew that they were going into Egypt, and he knew that God would deliver them. How did he know that? Was it just a really good guess? You know, God would probably... No, because God had already told them exactly what he would do in Genesis 15. He had told them that they would, for 400 years, be slaves, but God would bring them out and judge that nation. And Joseph believed God. He's like, I don't have to live to see it, but I know that God's word is true. Now, how did Joseph know that? I mean, how did he know to trust God? Well, because when Joseph was just a kid... God gave him a revelation, a dream about this kid that was despised by his brothers would one day stand in a throne room and people would bow around him. He didn't know how, but ultimately he saw that what God told him was true. And so Joseph said, when you leave this place, you take my bones with you. It was a sign of faith was a statement of faith, and now here it is being delivered. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And so we can trust God. It's one of the wonders of, of having the Word of God in front of us. And it really is tragic if we don't read it. Because we can learn on how some foolish people do not trust God. And, and horror befalls them. You know, you go all the way back to how about Lot, you know? I mean, there he is living in Sodom, you know? And he's, he's, he's working in the gates of the city. He's part of the whole administration. God sends an angel to pull him out. I mean, he had to literally pull this guy out. Very clear instructions when you leave this place. Do not look back. And of course, everybody knows what happened. It is precisely what Lot's wife did. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. Just like that. My friends, God gives us his word that we might live, that we would respond to it in faith, believing what it is he says, and then experiencing the life that he has for us there. Only a fool will hear the word of God and walk away unchanged. And so, friends, we've got to trust God's leading. He considers our weakness. He keeps his promises, and he will never leave us or forsake us. God does not stand from afar and telling everyone else what they ought to do. And it's like Christmas, you know? And there's always one person, no, no, move the other one around. Well, everyone, no, no, that's not the way God works. God is not afar from us. The Spirit of God indwells us. God will never leave us or forsake us. Wherever God instructs us to go, he goes with us. And my friends, you ought to be trusting God because if there is anyone to be trusted, it is him. Look at here in verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. 
And notice these words, verse 21, and Yahweh went before them. By day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Imagine that. God went with them. God went before them. God made himself manifest to them as a cloud in the day and as a pillar of fire at night. God went with them. And I want you to notice here as we continue to read, he did so that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. When you trust God, you do not go alone. I know that, friends, that, that our minds think that here we are all by ourselves, walking out, doing what it is God called us to do. When everything inside us says, run, it is only because we have forgotten that the God who sends us is the God who goes with us. Whatever it is you face, my friends, you do not face it alone. You do not face it alone. You do not face it alone. And you know what another thing is? God is never surprised. It's another reason. We were often, oh, I couldn't have seen that coming. Oh, my goodness, what an unfortunate turn of events. Who could have foreseen that? Well, I'll tell you who, God Look at here in chapter 14 in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of uh, Pihiroth between, uh, between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal Zephon and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. By the sea? Doesn't that take away one of our options? Oh, the horror of horrors. We could be trapped here. God knew something. And take a look here in verse 3. He knew about Egypt's pursuit. For Pharaoh will say, this is the Lord speaking, this is what's going on in Pharaoh's mind. About this time, he's realizing, what have I done? Oh my goodness, I let these people go. Look at here. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, well, they're wandering in the land and the wilderness will shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And please take note of the next line. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. It is the thread that runs through this book. God making himself known. Why? So that the people of Israel will know the God they are following. So when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. Big surprise there. And they said, what is this that we have done? I mean, that we've let Israel go from serving us. Who's going to make the bricks? And so he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened his heart, the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Oh, come on, Lord, why don't you soften his heart? Oh, because God's getting his people ready. Because they still don't know 
that they are safe in the protection of God. I mean, they should know it. Good night. They just watched over nine months God to decimate a nation. But they still don't trust him. So here comes another opportunity. So he made ready these chariots here. In verse 8, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and camped by the sea. See? Camping by the sea was a bad idea, you know? They, they can go one direction, the other, but they're trapped by the sea, right? <laughs> and the fact is, you and I know better. But say you'd never read this before. And you might say, God didn't know. If God had known, he would have led us differently. As if God could be surprised. So what is it we have done? That we have let Israel go. <laughs> and the Egyptians are pursuing them. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots. And all of his horsemen and his army. And overtook them. And how do you suppose the people of Israel respond? Well, you may know the story. But how should they respond? In light of how the Lord has just decimated this country, brought them to their knees, to the very point where they drove them out of here. We don't want you anywhere around here. I mean, do they have reason to fear this army? Well, that's only if they're looking through their own lenses and saying, what can I do against this army? And the answer is nothing. But that's the wrong question, isn't it? The right question is this. What will God do in such circumstances? Does God still love me? Is God still able? And is God good? Does God still keep his word? Because he said he's taken us to the promised land. You know, friends, when you think in light of what God has revealed, there's a whole lot of peace that comes with that. Now, you and I both know what's going to happen here. I mean, this is Exodus 14. This is the, the, they're at the Red Sea. Remember the Red Sea? Remember what happens? The way big wind blows and, and they traverse on dry ground. You and I know what's going to happen. But the right response is to put their trust in God. God, do you see what's happening? Well, of course God sees what's happening. How about we believe what it is that God has told us and we live that way? But remember, they're not fully there yet. They have a few lessons to learn along the way. And so there they are. What have we done? And they pursued them all the way to the sea. Hmm. And here's Israel's panic. We see that God knows He's not surprised by Egypt's pursuit. And you know what else? He's not surprised by Israel's panic either here. You know, where, where they're demonstrating fear instead of faith. And the problem is that fear enslaves us. It does. It traps us. It, it, it causes us to stay where it's safe or we perceive it to be safe. To run and to hide and say, I'm not going to get involved I don't know, you know, I had a bad experience once. 
And I know that the Lord says that I should go this way. And I know the Lord is good and he loves me, but fear is what enslaves us, my friend. It is faith that sets us free. I mean, it should be no different than, uh, than me. When I was just a little boy, I had friends who were like four years older than me. You know, I mean, then they were real. Fr- we played sports. We tackled one another. We threw things at one another. We, you know, we, it's what boys do. You know, but I'll tell you, nobody messed with me. And you know why? A, they shouldn't have messed with me anyway. But B, look at the guys around me. I mean, is that not the the logical thing? Look, we've got the Lord. I mean, He made all of this stuff. He controls all of this stuff. What have I to fear? And yet fear we know so well. And look at what Moses says here. (laughs) Now let's, let's continue reading here about this fear. So when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And listen to what fear does. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What a bunch of negative Nancys. If you're Nancy or you know someone named Nancy, please don't be insulted by that, okay? I mean, here are people who still do not trust God. God continues to reveal himself to them, and they still do not trust. How are you doing in that, by, my, by the way, my friends? Hmm. What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They already see themselves as dead because they only see their problems through their eyes, not through God's promises. But notice this in verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is not your fight. This is God's fight. If you do what it is that God has called you to do, and there are those who rise up to stand against you, friend, that is not your battle. That is the Lord's. You put your trust in God. That is what you do. And the Lord said to Moses, (laughs) Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Forward? There's a bunch of water there. (laughs) That's okay. Verse 16, lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And this is said as if he could just do this. Is it not wonderful that God simply says, well, just go ahead and raise up your staff and we'll divide the waters and they can walk through. 
this is not the way you and I think. We think that God is small. Well, God, perhaps God could cause a minor annoyance to these people, you know? Skeeter bites or something, and they're busy swatting skeeters. Now, God is a God who thinks big. You know why? Because God is big. And when God does these things, who gets the glory? God. He's not like, hey, maybe you should get together and come up with a strategy on this. He says, go ahead, take your staff, lift it up. We'll part the Red Sea and you walk across on dry ground. Do you not see that we have a great God, a big God? Your problems are not too big. I didn't say they're not troubles, but I said you have a great God and you need to put your trust in him. Go where he calls you to go. Hey, march on out of Egypt. Go ahead and take the jewelry. Oh yeah, the Egyptian army, that's going to come too. Don't worry about that though. I got that one covered. God told him what was going to happen. You're going to go into the promised land. You know, the land flowing with milk and honey. A beautiful land. That's where you're going. He didn't say, oh, by the way, you're all going to die. Do it. Believe what God says is he, you know, that, that he has called you to do. Do it. So why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forth. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your arm over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. They quite still haven't gotten it. They cannot stand against me. They've got a lesson to learn on top of it. And my friends, if you forget who God is, what he has done and what he has promised, my friends, then you will not trust in his power, which you ought to do, my friends. And look at the power on display here in chapter 19, or verse 19. Protecting Israel, then the angel of God who was going before them, the host of Israel moved and went behind them. Notice this movement here, leading them, now moving behind them. And why did he move behind them? Well, take a look. He stood behind them, verse 20, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And now there is God moving his troops to protect his people. I'm, I'm guessing that happens more than we could possibly imagine. That God moves his angels to protect, to guide to dissuade others from coming against his people. And there it is, protecting the people of Israel. And notice this, it was not only for protection, there was a cloud, you know, um, as verse 20, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was the cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night long. And they were safe. God was enough. Imagine that. God was able to protect his people. It sounds almost silly that we would even need to say that. But the fact of the matter is, knowing it and believing it are two very different things. They knew what God could do. They did not believe God would do it. Protect them, care for them, look out for them.
And so there, the power of God on display, protecting Israel, parting the Red Sea, verse 21. Then Moses, he stretched out his hand on the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. And here comes the conquering of the Egyptian army, causing the enemy to panic. Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. And all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. And so he caused great panic among the enemy here. And then he caused their equipment to fail, verse 25, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now, friends, here's some people who get it. Hey, we can't win against God. The wrong people are fearing here. You know, fearing the wrong thing. These people are fearing with respect. Hey, we can't mess with Yahweh. This God is too big. And yet Israel's saying that God is too small. Oh, yeah, he could get us out, but he can't get us there. I mean, God is not a God who can deliver, can he? And here he does cause the enemy to drown. Notice here in verse 26. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand that the water may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. People got out, he threw them back in. Victory, my friends. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. So the waters returned to cover the chariots and horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. And here's the summation. And not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. And the waters being a wall to them on the right hand on their left. And delivering God's people is the final act of his power here. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So you know what they did? So the people feared Yahweh, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. See, had they remembered that ahead of time, which God had already demonstrated, they would not have needed to panic. They would not have saw themselves as dead in just moments. They would have said, let's have some popcorn and see God work. And my friends, that's what having faith in God looks like, going where he has called you to go and trust him with the rest. Trusting him with the rest. And my friends, 
if you forget what God has said, and you forget what God has done, and you forget his promises, you will not be able to trust him the way you ought. God has demonstrated these things to make us understand what he is able to do. It's one of the ways that faith grows is we learn these things and we put them in our library of truth. And the library of truth in our mind is this is the way life works. That A, if I'm in a difficult situation doing what it is that God has called us to do, it is up to God to figure it out. I go to him in prayer, Lord, enemies are beating at the door. Lord, we've got some great obstacles here. God, I want to ask you to act. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, God, but I'm going to sit back and prepare to worship you because of it. I'm going to praise your name to see how you will deliver. That's what faith looks like. I will do what it is you call me to do, and I will act in the way that you've called me to act. But God, I will wait on you. And you know, when you live that kind of life, you get to chapter 15. And you know what chapter 15 is? For those who remember who God is, what he has done, and the promises that he makes and keeps, friends, you will end up just like Moses Praising God for his great salvation. And here Moses has written a song, perhaps the first psalm. And we have some, uh, perhaps some principles here. When you recognize what it is that God has done for you, the promises that he has kept in your life, the salvation that he has accomplished in your life, my friends. Instruction number one is sing it. Sing it. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And then maybe take some time to list it. Let's talk about Yahweh's strength. Yahweh is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down in the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O oh Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. And the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, and the floods stood up in a heap, and the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall destroy them. <laughs> you blew with your wind, and the sea covered them, and they sank like lead. <laughs> it's a wonderful story because it just highlights that God is God and that no one can stand against him. What God says he will do, he will do. And the response of the people of God ought only to be one. 
and that is to trust him. And so they praised him for his guidance, praised him here who is like you, O Lord, verse 11, and among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds. Look at here in verse 13. You led them, steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed, and you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And then here in our last section, Yahweh's victory. The people have heard. They trembled. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. That nation that was so fearful is now cowering in fear, for they have heard what Yahweh can do. Verse 15, now are the chiefs of Edom, dismayed and trembling, seizes the leaders of Moab, and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. God has made himself known. And for all who would stand against them, the only response is fear. Terror and dread have fallen upon them, verse 16, because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, and the Lord will reign forever and ever. He has reigned, he is reigning, and he will reign. He is to be trusted, my friends. It is the lesson that Israel needed to learn. It is the lesson that you and I need to learn, that God is not small. God is, is not distracted. God is, is able. God is aware. And God will keep his promises. Trust him, my friends. Trust him. So have faith in the God who set you free. That's our lesson here today. Have faith in the God who set you free.